Heritage Park Baptist Church, we make apprentices to Jesus Christ. For more information about our church, please visit heritagepark.org. If you have a Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have some on the sound booth in the back there. If you want to grab one of those, we'd love for you to follow along with us. Uh, if you use the Bible app on your phone, we have a live event on the YouVersion app. You could follow along with that. If you grabbed one of those Bibles in the back, uh, we used to give you a page number, but we have two different size Bibles back there. We have the, the bigger Bible and the skinnier Bible, the non-keto Bible, I guess is what we call it. Uh, so if you're looking for First John, it's in the back. Uh, if you kind of turn to the very back and you get like all the different words, just turn a couple pages to the left. First John is right there uh, between Peter and Revelation. So First John chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you're like me, you love a good magic trick, right? Like there's something about the awe of someone doing something in front of you and your mind just like slightly being blown. Like, how did you do that? And I think for adults especially, it kind of brings us back to this kind of childlike uh, existence. Like, oh, that was cool. That was really neat. I have a friend of mine who does uh, illusions and magic tricks and I'm always trying to figure out how, they, how he pulls it off, right? Because I know like, he's not like a wizard or something like, like Harry Potter or something like that. But uh, he, it's, it's all manipulation, right? And I know that. And he knows that I know that. And most of us know that whoever's doing this illusion or this trick in front of us, it's, it's all manipulation. And so we try our best to figure it out while they're doing it. I think that's part of what makes a great trick even better is it make, he makes you think that you have it figured out. And you're looking over here, and then all of a sudden it's over here. And you're like, no, it wasn't. How did that? That was cool, right? That, that's normally the, the emotional roller coaster that I go on. And I'm like, and then without fail, it's like, do it again. I'm going to figure it out, right? Do it again. Uh, and, and there's something to say about uh, someone that's doing those kinds of tricks, they're, they're world-class manipulators in, in a good way, right? That's, they're manipulating your eyes, manipulating your mind in order to kind of twist this around and have this kind of big reveal. And in the same way that uh, these kind of people that are doing these tricks are manipulating us, uh, I believe that the world is also manipulating us and trying to kind of say, hey, look over here. This is the best way. This is what's happening. And you think you have it figured out. And then all of a sudden, the world has been doing something over here uh, that has been completely fooling us. And by the time we realize it, it's too late and we've been duped. We've been fooled. And that's the passage that we're looking at today. Uh, we've been doing the series called uh, Rhythms, uh, talking about spiritual practices. And uh, the, the theme has been life with God for the world. That as we pursue a life with God, in our pursuit, we, come, we become more and more like Jesus. And as we become more and more like Jesus, we begin to look at the world the way Jesus looked at the world. It's not the practices that make us like Jesus. It's us being placed in his presence and him making us more and more like him, right? So it's not, it's not our effort. It's all a matter of what God is doing 
through us being in his presence that transforms our life. And so as we look at 1 John chapter 2, I want you to think about this kind of picture of this illusion, this magic trick or whatever. Uh, 1 John 2 verse 15 says this, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions, is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away uh, away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. That's what I want us to use today, this this passage, to kind of kind of capitalize on some of these disciplines that we looked at. Uh, Last week we looked at um, these kind of spiritual practices of Bible intake, meditation, and prayer, which are kind of inward practices. And today we're going to look at some outward practices that will hopefully help us fight against these desires that the world is trying to manipulate us uh, to do. And so the first one is the desire of the flesh, which is busyness. And we can fight against that with the practice of silence and solitude. Uh, practice of silence and solitude is, is basically closing off your soul from sound and denying yourself companionship. Uh, and some introverts are like, I like this one. This is the best one. Like, can we just like not have people around for a while? Can I just get some peace and quiet? Uh, Good for you, so maybe you'll listen. Um, for those of you that are extroverts like me, we really need to engage this. Uh, but it's the, this desire of the flesh that is busyness. The world is trying to distract us in order to mold us into something, right? The Lord is saying, hey, fill your calendar with all of these really, really good things. Look over here, look over here. And all the while, it's manipulating us. It's molding us into something that it wants us to become, not what God wants us to become. And all of these things that we're putting on our calendars, all these things that we're doing are good things. They're not necessarily evil things, but we've been so convinced that being able to respond to someone's, uh, hey, how are you doing with the answer of, I'm busy, is an appropriate response in the world that we live in. And so we're being molded into the, the people that are into what the world wants us to do. And the only way that we can fight against that busyness is this uh, practice of silence and solitude. And through that, we can gain freedom from these forces. And so there's three, or there's two um, things, th- two primary things that, sil- that when we engage this practice that we do. Uh, through silence and solitude. The first one is, is we listen, that we're listening. Uh, we listen to God and we listen to others. And that seems to make sense, right? Like if, we're, if there's nothing to listen to, obviously we would listen to God. You would be surprised how easy it is to fill silence with other things, right? And you could, you would be, I think we would be actually shocked if when we, act, when we, really hear pure silence. We have so much noise pollution, right? Like what we think is silent is actually like there's a TV on in the other room or there's a, a noise maker, a noise machine, or there's all of these kinds of things. But pure silence can be terrifying for so many of us. And so when we are able to pursue this kind of silence and solitude, one of the primary things that we need to do is begin to listen to God and listen to others. Uh, and the fruit of solitude and silence is this increased sensitivity and compassion for others. Think about James chapter 1. He says, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak, slow to come anger, 
angry, right? Like we need to be people when we engage in this practice of silence and solitude that, that we are pursuing listening, that we like fight to create space so that we can listen to God. And then uh, even fight to create space so that we can listen to others. And we'll talk about that here in a second. And the other aspect involves listening, but it also involves slowing, right? We live in a high-paced society. If you're not doing a hundred things, you're lazy, you're a bum, you're not contributing to society, right? Like we feel like the pride of suburbia is busyness. And um, what we do by slowing and pursuing science and solitude is we reemphasize the desert, the desert as the primary place of spiritual growth. You think about this. What did Jesus do at the very beginning of his ministry? Went to the desert 40 days. What did Paul do at the beginning of his ministry? The desert. But so often, we are about going and going and going. You, you look at the life of Jesus. Regularly, when you read the Gospels, you see G, the disciples looking for Jesus because he is off somewhere in a solitude place, in silence, praying to the Lord. And if, if Jesus did it, and he was fully God and fully man, but he like implemented this practice, this rhythm into his life, why shouldn't we? Why should we try to go at such a quick pace that we outrun him who is leading us? Because we can't go ahead of the pace that Jesus has set for us if we're truly followers of Jesus. And so it involves slowing down. It involves slowing down, eliminating hurry from our life. Following Jesus cannot be done as a sprint. So you think about beginning of Paul's life uh, in, in Galatians chapter 1. He goes out to Arabia for a season, right? Um, but also think about this uh, as it pertains to slowing. Psalm, um, Psalm 46 says this, Be still and know that I'm God. It's very difficult to do that when you're busy when you're going and you're not still. And if you're like me, and I'm always moving around, like even while we were praying, I'm like bouncing back and forth, like just super, just like my heart's beating fast. But there's, it's important, and that's why these are practices. It's because we're not good at them naturally. It's like just sitting before the Lord and being still. So um, we want to provide for everyone uh, kind of a way to apply this on the individual level, on a family level, and uh, on a church level. And so a way that you can do this uh, on an individual level is that you can embrace little solitudes in your life. Um, one of the places that you can, uh, one of the authors that I was reading this week talked about little solitudes being um, in your car, stuck in traffic. I know most of you this morning, you're thinking, you know what? I'm after church, I'm going to go drive around and try to find some traffic, right? Is that, I had so many conversations about that was what you are planning on doing after church. Everyone just really just looks forward to, anticipates sitting in traffic. for. No, that is obviously a frustrating point. Why? Because we are busy people and this traffic is causing me to not be productive right now. But what if we began to look at traffic as something that God is giving us? Uh, well, then I'll pray that God will stop giving me that. Uh, no. What if God is placing you 
in traffic for a purpose, to intentionally slow yourself down, slow your heart down, slow your schedule down. And what if during traffic we just turn the radio off? But I was listening to a Christian podcast, Kyle. It's okay. We're talking about silence and solitude here, okay? Uh, Just turn the radio off and just embrace the slowing down of your heart that God is physically doing to you with your car and embrace it and absorb that moment and just sit in the presence of God because he exists in your car as well. I know some of you don't drive that way, but he can meet with you in your car in the midst of that busyness. So embrace little solitudes. Uh, uh, Another place you can do is find a quiet place. Uh, And uh, that might mean that you wake up before everyone else in your home and, and, and find a place that's quiet and you're alone, that you can just sit before the Lord and be. Um, that that can be really helpful for you as an individual. I understand that like if multiple people are trying to apply that, then you're like, well, I try to wake up early, but you woke up early and you're in my quiet, like find another place in the house. All right, if you can't, just go on the back porch. We don't have to argue about these kinds of things. Um, as a family, uh, one thing that you can do is slow down. Like parse out your calendar. Say like, okay, what, are, what is the thing that is important that we do but let's not over-program. Let's not over-plan all of our lives so that we're so busy that we can't hear from the Lord. We're so busy that we can't meet with the Lord. We're so busy that when we do show up to do these kinds of things, we're tired and exhausted and we're not giving the Lord our best. It's a way that you can um, do that in, in your family. Or s- silence and solitude involves listening, right? It involves listening. It involves listening to the Lord, but it also involves listening to others. One of the, the things that I struggle with most, and it might just be me, but sometimes when I'm listening to people, I'm thinking about what I'm going to tell them. How I can fix their problems. Uh, have you thought about this? Here's a cool story. Here's a funny joke. And so oftentimes when we're listening, we're not really listening. We are waiting for a gap in their in their cadence so that we can interject our thoughts into. And our kids do the same thing. They, they don't often wait. They just start interjecting, right? Because they're, and so one of the things that we can do as we, as we apply this to our family is we can, hey, we're going we're gonna to practice active listening. And so for, you know, you engage, like, okay, I'm talking to this person. I know that I want to say things, but I'm going to purposefully kind of put myself in park and just listen to what they have to say as a practice. So that as I am um, in listening to them, they're, they're finding value in who they are and of, and of themselves, not in what I can tell them how to make their lives better. And showing that to your kids. Hey, this is what it looks like. And then letting them practice that. Hey, I'm going to tell a story and you're going to actively listen and you're not going to interrupt me. And this isn't like a, hey, you're in trouble, so don't talk thing. But this is a training in righteousness aspect. As a church, uh, a way that we apply this um, discipline is we, we purposefully don't over-program. We try to do a few things, and we do them well. Uh, and we don't want to just have your calendar booked with a bunch of stuff that we do up here at the church so that you can't find these things in, in your life. I mean, our kids' ministry is doing that um, with moving everything to Sunday nights uh, so that the week has a little bit more space. We're purposefully not doing a hundred things 
We're do, just doing a few things that we feel like is that these are the best things that we can do for you in whatever life stage you are in your spiritual development. So that's what we're doing as a church. So the first thing, uh, the, pri- uh, the desire of the flesh, this busyness, can be fought uh, against with silence and solitude. The next one is the desires of the flesh. Uh, desires of the flesh. Uh, sorry, that's the desires, of the desires of the eyes, which is comfort. And that can be fought uh, with fasting, right? With, with the spiritual practice of fasting. And fasting is simply abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. This desire of the eyes, this comfort, this world is trying to master you. It's trying to control you. It's trying to uh, well up in you these desires for things that aren't important and convince you that these things are important, right? It's the trick. Like, hey, look over here. These things are important. These things are important. And we find ourselves looking at the wrong thing. And so the way we fight against that is through fasting. Uh, because fasting, uh, more than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. That reveals our deepest desires. And so, through fasting, we begin to fight against this comfort that the world is trying to manipulate us into buying into. Uh, so there's, there's three effects that happen when we fast, and, and, and I, I think they're beautiful effects, so we're going to spend some time thinking about that. The first one is, 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 is provides balance to our life. It provides balance to our life uh, by focusing on things. Uh, when we focus on things that aren't important, it's like a river overflowing its banks. We understand what that's like, creeks overflowing its banks. Uh, it provides chaos and mass destruction. But when it's properly, the water is properly in the channels that it's supposed to be in, it can be a good thing. And oftentimes, our desires are like rivers that are overflowing its banks. And it's going all over the place. And we think that we have it under control, but it always has us under control. And so when we fast, it kind of exposes those, those things, those desires of our hearts um, and because as our stomach is, hung, is hungry and it's yelling at us, like, feed me, we begin to try to manip- manipulate the system with other desires, with other things, and distract ourselves from these things. And so um, these desires that can be outside of the proper channels, uh, they, we need to put them inside their banks. And you see Paul talking about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful all things are, are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. There's things that he's saying that he has the ability to do, but he chooses not to do them. Does that make sense? Like we have permission to do things as followers of Jesus. But some of us need to choose not to do these things because they're not beneficial for us. So, uh, one of the kids earlier today is like, hey, dude, what Xbox games do you play? And I was like, I don't have an Xbox. They're like, weirdo. Now, I think they, do you call me a nerd? Is that what you call me? Yeah, I think so. Um, it's cool. It's, it's cool. But the reason I don't have an Xbox is because I have an addictive personality. And I know that if I pop that game in, I will, I will kind of check out of my real life and check into this fake life. And I begin to be overwhelmed by it. Uh, to the point where I only have one game on my phone, and I often delete 
these games after a while when I find myself like fighting, like, hey, why am I, the new iPhone telling you what you do with your life is kind of convicting, right? I think uh, Steve Jobs, uh, he came from the dead to make us angry at ourselves because you look at it, you're like, I spent 13 hours on Facebook. I've only been up for five. How is this, how in the world did this happen? But you begin to see like, man, I'm, I'm spending way too much time on these things, these desires. And, and when we fast, we, we tend to find ourselves drawn to those desires even more so because we find fulfillment in them. We find comfort in them. And so it begins to show us our desires. And so he goes on to say in, in chapter 9 that he, I discipline my body to keep it under control. And so we, we pursue this, this uh, practice of fasting to discipline our body so that we can keep our desires in check, under control. Uh, so it provides balance, but it also proves dependence. It proves dependence. Uh, Dallas Willard, when he was writing about fasting, he says this. Fasting may also bring to mind how we are using food pleasure to lessen the discomfort caused in our bodies by faithless, faithless and unwise living and attitudes. Lack of self-worth, meaningless work, purposeless existence, or lack of rest and exercise. If nothing else, though, it will certainly demonstrate how powerful and clever our body is in getting its own way against our strongest resolves. When we fast, it exposes what we are depending on. And if we're not fully depending on God, we will find ourselves leaning to other things for dependence. Uh, so, so many of us understand that, and that's why we're scared of fasting, because we're not like, hey, there are things in my heart, there are things that are in my life that I know that when I am sad, I'm going to get some ice cream and make myself feel better. And is there something bad about ice cream? No, as long as it's bluebell, it's, it's good, it's fine. But there is something bad about hiding pain with something else. And we do this with food, especially Westerners, especially people in Houston, right? There's a fast food place for every single person. Uh, you can't drive more than a half a mile and not pass another donut shop and another, you know, fast food place where you can get a burger. Like, why is the world that we live? Because people, they want to hide what's going on in their life with these kinds of things. And so fasting, um, it, it shows what we're utterly dependent on. And uh, our utter dependence has to come from finding God as a source of sustenance by, beyond all things. Think about Jesus in John chapter 4. Uh, they're like, Jesus, do you want some food? Like, did you eat? What's going on? And he's like, I have food to eat that you don't know about. Which is a baller statement above all things, right? Like he, the disciples are like, aren't you hungry? He's like, I have food that you don't know about. And they're like, so did someone give you food? Like, did, is there a water burger around here? This is amazing. No. And so he says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. When we fast and we push our stomach to utter dependence on God, we're actually feasting 
on the Lord and His will. We're actually tapping into something that is supernatural as opposed to something that is physical. We're feasting unto the Lord, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. So we, we see... Um, it, prov- it proves, uh, provides balance. It proves dependence. And the last thing is it prevents cheap grace. And what cheap grace is, is uh, grace without discipleship. It's grace without the cross. It's us receiving all the good things from God, but not doing anything. Not that we have to do something to earn the grace, because he freely gives it to us. But when we receive grace from God, and we're not motivated to do anything with it, that's what cheap grace is. It's grace without the cross. Fasting is one of the most feared of all spiritual practices. And yet it is mentioned explicitly 77 times in the Bible. Throughout the Old and New Testament, it's mentioned dozens of times. I believe why it's the most feared is because in our affluent society, fasting requires more from us than we're willing to give to God. And it is one of the most important ways of practicing the self-denial required of everyone who's a follower of Christ. Think about Matthew 16. If anyone comes to me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. But if we're not willing to deny our stomachs, how are we going to give him our whole life? So that's why fasting is important for us as followers of Jesus. Uh, We see it over and over uh, when Jesus talks about it. It's assumed when you fast, do these things. They're fighting against this concept of chief grace. And so here's some applications for you uh, as you think about fasting. Uh, The first one on the individual level is uh, why don't you try to fast? Give it a shot. Uh, 24-hour fast, the way you can do it, it's very easy. Uh, practical way, not easy. It's going to be hard. Uh, but fast from lunch to lunch. So eat lunch one day, and then skip your evening meal, whether you call it dinner or supper or something else. Uh, skip that meal, um, and then wake up in the morning. Don't eat breakfast, and then eat lunch again. 24 hours of fasting. And definitely you're going to feel it. Uh, you're, going to, you're going to feel your stomach yelling at you, demanding food. Because we have trained our bodies that we can eat a whole lot when we don't really require as much food as we're giving it. And so uh, don't just miss a meal and then fill it with something else. Like, hey, I'm not going to eat dinner tonight, but I'm about to binge watch the mess out of some Netflix. Like that is not the concept of fasting that we want to uh, promote, right? You're not, mi- you're not skipping a meal so that you can fill it with something else to keep you distracted. No, you're doing this so that you can more intentionally fix your eyes on the Lord. And so w- instead of eating that meal, you spend time with the Lord. And when your stomach reminds you, hey, by the way, don't you remember that we were supposed to eat? You let your stomach know, hey, no, thanks for the reminder, because now I'm going to 
pursue the Lord. I'm going to engage the Lord. And so it's like this little internal clock that, that we have walking around with us saying, hey, I'm hungry. Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you, stomach. I'm going to pursue Jesus right now. And then you eat lunch and you're like, oh, okay, I, I made it. I didn't die. Uh, so that's one way that you can uh, do it in, as an individual. Or, or another way, if you've already fasted before, maybe you implement a rhythm of fasting in your life. Maybe once a week you fast, or maybe once a month you fast. Maybe the first Thursday of every month you fast for 24 hours. Uh, that's a way that you can do that in your own life. As a family, I know that it becomes a little bit more tricky. So um, what I don't want you to do is be like, Oh, man, we don't have any plans for dinner. Hey, kids, we're fasting today. No, no, that's not what we want to do. But I think it is okay to look at your kids and say, like, hey, we're not, we're not going to allow anything to control us besides the Lord. And so tonight, we're not going to have a meal uh, because we want to tap into the, the, the strength that only God can give us. Uh, and so you kind of process that through. You let them know probably in advance. Um, and then you, you work with them. You maybe spend that, that evening meal around a devotional or praying or doing some sort of family activity, worship. And then in the morning, you help them understand, hey, this meal that we're eating, it's called break fast, right? It's because we're breaking this fast and we're going to eat a meal together and we're going to have some time of thinking and talking about what God has shown you during this time of fasting. Uh, maybe if that's not an option for you, uh, you can actually fast from something, right? We've been talking primarily about fasting from food, uh, but there are ways, other things you can fast from that's become a lot more popular in the last like 50 years. It's like not just fasting from food, but fasting from things. Uh, and so like, let's say you look at your family like, hey, you know what? Uh, today we are going to fast from electronics. And so we're no TV, no tablets, no anything. We're going to just spend some time together as a family with the Lord. Uh, if you do that, parents, um, just, a, just a note of encouragement. Make sure that they don't feel like they did something wrong and that's why their electronics got taken away from them. Because that's oftentimes a, a, a way to discipline today, right? Like, hey, you're not behaving and so you're grounded from your phone. Uh, so make sure that they don't feel that that's the purpose because then they will look at these practices as punishments and not ways to tap into the Lord. And so look at your family. Hey, we're not going to turn the TV on today. Uh, and instead, we're going to spend time together. Uh, so that's a, something you can do. Uh, as a church, a way we can, do, uh, we can in, engage with fasting, we see it throughout the Bible, um, is we, we fast for something. Uh, we fast, you know... Uh, for the lost people in the 4B area, right? There's 600,000 people and plenty more moving in in this area from the Beltway to the beach, from Brazoria County to the Bay. We can say, hey, there's 600,000. Over half of them are far from God. We're going to fast so that God will begin to soften their hearts so that we can see the gospel go forward in their lives. The simple way that we can fast together. So uh, that is uh, the desire of the eyes, which is comfort, and we fight against that desire through fasting. And the last one is, is the uh, pride of possessions. Um, and the way we fight against the pride of possessions is servanthood. And we see the, the result of fighting pride is pursuing humility. Uh, we see that as the, this last little portion of 1 John chapter 2. Uh, and, and servanthood is simply exchanging our goods and strengths in an active promotion of the good of others and the causes of God. Uh, the world is lying to us. 
It is telling us, it's selling us, it's tricking us. It's saying, hey, look over here, look over here, look over here. What you need to do is pursue yourself, pursue making yourself great over all other things. And so what we do in servanthood is we pursue others and the good of others above all other things to fight against the pride of possessions. And so um, what we see is when we choose to serve, um, oftentimes you say, well, I've chosen to serve, but I still have this pride in my life. Yeah, that's right. Because oftentimes when we choose to serve, we're still in charge. We say, I will serve as long as it's doing these things within this time scale. We're still in charge. We're not fighting anything. We're just making ourselves feel better. But when we pursue servanthood, we set aside the ability to be in charge. And we say, hey, whatever is set before me is what we are going to do. Whether it makes me feel comfortable or uncomfortable, whether it works with my calendar or not, we are going to pursue servanthood. Um, And we see uh, when we pursue servanthood, two things happen. It fights against our pride. Um, And pride is the oldest of all sins, right? It's the sin that uh, Adam and Eve were tempted with in the garden. Um, It fights against our pride. And and, and, and basically, pride is choosing to exclude both God and others from their right place in our hearts. And pride destroys our ability to love. You think about when Jesus was approached, hey, what's the most important thing? He responds in Matthew 22 with love God and love people. But if, we're pursue, if, if we are allowing pride to drive a wedge between us, excluding both God and others from their right place in our hearts, we do not have the ability to love them because we're busy loving ourselves. And servanthood fights against that love. Uh, the cross, uh, which we will celebrate here in, in, in a little bit, the cross is the ultimate sign of submission. That Jesus um, walked and lived the perfect life and died a death on our behalf because of the sins that we have in our own life. That we couldn't make them, we couldn't make ourselves right before God, and so God brought us to Him through the cross. And He Jesus died for us on the cross as an ultimate sign of submission. But hours before that, he was on his knees with a towel in one hand and a bucket of water in the other, as a servant washing his disciples' feet, even the one that was going to betray him. And so pursuing servanthood is essential. Uh, And the reason we help others is not because we're strong, not because we're stronger than them, not because we have our stuff together and they don't. The reason we pursue servanthood is because if we don't help them, we will end up a hopeless relic. And so when we pursue uh, servanthood, we fight against pride, but it also helps us understand Christ in a way that we couldn't outside of that. Uh, Jesus did not come to, as a servant in spite of the fact that he's God. He came precisely because he was God. Let's take a look at Philippians chapter 2 really quickly. We're going to get technical, and then we're going to take communion. It says this, Jesus who, though was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. This word, um, uh, this uh, 
participle is called the circumstantial participle that's often translated being in the form of, uh, in the very nature of God. Uh, and technically, it can be interpreted depends on the circumstances of the sentence, right? That's thus the name circumstantial participle. Uh, and it can be used to express purpose, results, duration. And most people uh, have looked at this passage and, and, and used it um, as the as the concessive, like in spite of the fact he was God, in spite of the fact he was being God, he came as a servant. So like God would not be a servant, but Jesus did the opposite of what God would and be a servant, right? Uh, a lot of people have, have translated it that way or understood it this way, but there's a lot of scholarly research out there that would say that it's actually probably better, more accurately um, understood as the causative participle. And so precisely because he was God, he took on the form of a servant. And when we take on the form of a servant, we are tapping into and understanding Christ in a way that we couldn't otherwise. Because God in his very essence is a servant. And so when we embrace this practice, we get to experience that in a real way. So here's some really quick ways that we can apply this in our own life. As an individual, um, you can embrace the ministry of the mundane. Uh, you can uh, do all these small tasks. When you cook, um, you typically, um, if you're from the South, you put a little salt in everything, right? Not a lot of salt, but you put a little salt in everything, right? Uh, and the salt makes everything taste a little bit better. Let's just be honest. Uh, when you put sugar in something, you put a lot of sugar in it, right? And it makes that thing taste really good, but you wouldn't put sugar in everything, right? It's the special thing that you put sugar in. And oftentimes we think about uh, servanthood as the special thing. It's like sugar, but what servanthood really is, is like salt. It's a little bit here and a little bit there and a little bit there. It's, like, it's the ministry of the mundane. It's doing all these really small tasks to remind ourselves, hey, we are submitting ourselves to other people. So when the baby cries, hey, you want to go get, you want to do that? Or, hey, I'm going to go. Whether my wife tells me to or not, I'm going to go and tend to crying kid, right? These ministry of the mundane um, or um, serving someone who can't benefit you at all. As a, as a family, one of the things you can do is set aside a day and serve together. Whether that's here at the church whether you're like, you know what, today we're going to greet, our whole family's going to greet. Even the toddlers, they're going to go and they're going to run and give people hugs in the parking lot. Like, maybe not the parking lot, but like stay on the sidewalk, that would be better. But like, let's serve together. Set it aside purposefully for this, uh, for this task. Um, and then as a church, we do things like gum. We go serve in Galveston, the people who's not going to benefit us uh, because we want to be servants. Um, or uh, we offer opportunities for people to serve within different ministries uh, here at the church. And if you want to do that, there's a way that you can, on our website, you can uh, fill out a form and, and get plugged in some different ways. But the world, the desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, the pride of possessions, is trying to pull us away from the pursuit of God and, and um, fully trusting in the gospel. And so we set these rhythms up in our life to help make sure that we keep our eyes focused on God and not this distracting thing that the world's trying to offer us. And so we have a rhythm that we have implemented um, here at the church. 
It's a rhythm of communion on the first Sunday of every month. And we do this because it reminds us to keep Christ and the gospel and what he did for us in front of us. Um, and it's not, it's not something that is just, uh, hey, do this, take these elements and take it. No, because Jesus, when he, the night before he was crucified, he looked at his disciples and he instituted this rhythm. He said, do this and remember me. And he took a piece of bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that is broken for you. And they were thinking, I don't understand what you're talking about. But later on, they fully understood because they saw his body broken for them on the cross. And then he grabs this cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. Drink of it. Drink deeply of the new covenant. The old law is gone. Now we get to drink deeply of the new covenant because of what Jesus did for us on the cross by shedding his blood to make us right. Something that we could never do. Our sin separated us from God. And the only way that we can be made right, restored into community with God is through what Jesus did for us on the cross. And, and submitting our lives to him, believing in him and receiving him. And that's what we do when we come to the table. We eat and drink deeply from the Lord, reminding ourselves of what he has done for us that we can never do for ourselves. And reminding ourselves that what he did for us on the cross was enough. That there's nothing else that we have to do. When we take communion, we don't do it out of our own strength. We do it out of His strength. And so uh, the band's going to come, and they're going to lead us in a couple songs, a song of response and a time of communion. And and this is what we're going to do as a church family. We have these tables um, set around, and, and communion tables are open for anyone who is a follower of Jesus. And so what we would tell you to do is when the music starts playing and when your heart is ready, uh, and you have kind of uh, given your, you, you looked at the Lord, and if there's no sin or these kinds of things, you deal with Him, uh, and you're ready to take on communion, uh, that you would find a table, whatever table is closest with you, and there will be a deacon um, at one of those tables. And if you don't feel comfortable doing the, the elements yourself with your family, find one of those deacons, and they'll walk you through what that looks like. But we encourage you, families, to go together and take the elements and remember that this piece of bread, this wafer is, is Christ's body broken for you. And this cup is a cup of the new covenant. As we take them, we drink deeply upon what Jesus has done for us on the cross. So whenever you're ready, the tables are open. Let me pray for us.